We headed to Capital City. It wasn't on our immediate list of places to visit, but it was definitely the right place to be. After a couple of weeks of research, we had heard about a man stopping crime with a green ring. That piqued my interest, but something else the witnesses reported didn't seem to mesh. He had a cape, and he wore red. This we had to see, so we hailed a cab and started our search for the Green Lantern. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back to the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. So first off, we have a little bit of a, a minutes note here for, for Matt. Good way of, good way of framing yeah. that. I like that. <laughs> so uh, the initial plan was that we would be recording on our usual schedule of two weeks after the previous recording, a week after release. Uh, this week's a little bit of an aberration, so unfortunately... Uh, we weren't able to keep the uh, questions submission period open for a full week uh, because at the last minute I got told by my supervisors, you know, it actually would be useful if you could go on that business trip. So I'm actually going to be on the European continent for the next week and a half. Uh, I actually leave tomorrow night. Yeah, so we thankfully we did get some questions uh, from some listeners as well as some people who have been instrumental in helping us kind of shape the direction of the podcast so we do have questions so we so we can start doing this anyway however if you do continue to send us questions please keep doing so we're going to keep using them this is going to be a thing we do from now on so thank you for sending in questions we really appreciate it please send in more and uh, we hope to hear from you on our various social media situations which again we will cover like we should always be doing which is again this is that's a bad me moment so we'll go on from there and as part two of that, we are recording this on November 8th at 10.17 p.m. Please remember we love you all. Yes. And we, we shall move on from there. We love you all. You all matter to us. Um, stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Please talk to people if you need to talk to people. We love you. We are your friends. Thank you for being our friends. Is this like the inverse side of what it's like to be famous when people assume that you're they're your friends? I don't know. I mean, are, like, are we famous? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I mean, frankly, there we don't know if anybody's actually listening. I mean, we do, but like again, that could be the first ten minutes all the time. So like, it could really we don't know if. Well, you, the good news is, yeah, we're thankfully you half minutes. Thankfully, in. you've made it to this part, which is at, least, is at least the best part. I think is the the nice message. So again, Matthew and I both love you very much. Um, you matter to us. Thank you. You are our friends. Please talk to us. Send us a message, regardless if you need someone to just say something to in lieu of what has occurred on November 8th. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And with that, we're going to talk about another source of light. How about that segue? That was good. That was like yes. an actual segue tour. Oh, I felt good about myself right there. You should. That was good, actually. I don't <laughs> think I could have. I could have. I couldn't have done that better. And I'm pretty good at those. Um, I can't argue with that. You actually do usually do the segues. Yeah. Well, boy bands aside, <laughs> um, we're gonna we're gonna start with something that really excites me a lot. Um, you can't see, but I'm kind of clapping my hands together silently. Uh, it's like a villainous otter. Yeah. We're going to move to All-American Comics, number 16, July 1940. So if you played the, the Guess Who's Next game with our noir from episode 14, you may have guessed that we are going to talk about the Green Lantern. But this is not Hal Jordan. This is not Guy Gardner, who technically should have been 
Green Lantern before Hal Jordan. What? Yes. Hal Jordan is only picked to be Green Lantern due to proximity. That seems like a really crappy way to run an interstellar it is. Which uh, is why government. him and Guy are rivals. Guy technically should have gotten the ring. Is that really That is real canon as far as I as far as I'm aware, if if someone wants to well actually this, please do so. But to my understanding, if this is stuff that I've read, Guy Gardner was supposed to be the Green Lantern for his sector. If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love, love the, the one, one that with. love the one that pulls you out of the spacecraft and tries to resuscitate your body even though you're dying. Okay, that does sound like an ABC special. Yes, <laughs> you're welcome. I think that was an episode of Charmed. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> well done. Uh, so it's Green Lantern, but again, it's Alan Scott. So if you're not familiar with Alan Scott, he is the Golden Age Green Lantern, and we are using the Golden Age collection of Green Lantern that we used, like we did with the Sandman. There is a version of it for Green Lantern, so should you want to read this, you are more than likely able to get a copy of it somewhere, usually from Amazon.com, since they are no longer in print. This is a weighty tome. You could KO a guy with it. We, we're going to cover 15 issues right now, and that's a lot, and we're going to try and the, go... Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's wow. 15 issues. That's... Um, a year and some change, specifically um, a year and three months. I didn't think it was ending at any point. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a it's a, a lot, and then we're gonna stop before we hit Green Lantern number one, and then we're gonna do another episode which kind of concludes all of this with him, and then we're gonna move on to somebody else. So starting off, the first issue of all uh, that Green Lantern appears in in All American Comics number sixteen, July nineteen forty, it has his origin. Where Alan Scott seems to just be at this rail yard with a buddy of his, kind of overseeing the construction of a giant railroad bridge. And he is part of an explosion that occurs because someone is trying to sabotage the rail line and him and his buddy are thrown and a lot of people are killed. But Alan survives. And he survives due to the light coming from this green lantern. Now, one of the things that really bothers me about this is that the lantern that saves him is in the first panel and he's holding it. Yeah, like, like, I, like it was supposed to be there. Like he's just moving it. From, I assume like, it's just a regular desk. railway lantern. It's just the coloration is strange, and right. no one comments. And on I it. think that's supposed to be what it's supposed to look like. But the mm-hmm. weird thing about it is just like what? Like was that on like a box? And you're like, oh, I need to get in that box. And like you just move the lantern. <laughs> like how did it get there? Is what doesn't because that's never mm-hmm. explained. However, the lantern does explain its origin. The lantern is created uh, through means of colorful light shows that it puts inside of Alan Scott's head. Um, and flashbacks that are very racist, that it is part or constructed out of the metal that is derived from a comet or a meteorite, rather. Was it specifically a metal? I actually don't remember Uh, that, because that will be important. Flaming liquid metal. A small pool of flaming liquid metal. So these ancient Chinese men decide to make a lamp, a Chinese-style lamp, out of this and uh, which kind of looks a little bit Arabian. That kind of bothered me a little bit. Oh, very much so. Um, so it is one hundred percent the genie's lamp. Oh, P.S. This is uh, all Bill Finger working yep. right now. So remember, Bill Finger doesn't do other races very well. Um, it feels like Bill Finger kind of half-asses it, where someone tells him a story about a thing, he goes, ah, "I could do that," and then writes it, as opposed to like doing the proper legwork. So and a bunch of Chinese folks assembling for evening prayers. Yeah, for evening I prayers. I freely admit I don't have a great sense of Bill the religious Finger- rites of. Uh, the Chinese, you can't call it the China subcontinent, but that's right. effectively what it is. Right, I mean, I'm not... Uh, I'm but not I'm sure pretty what... sure that's not evening prayers. Right, and again, remember, Bill Finger has a thing for the Chinese, and Siegel and Schuster have a thing for anybody who's not American, specifically Eastern European. Hmm. So, everyone's finding their racial stereotype here. 
this lantern explains that it's going to bring three things, death, life, and power. So as these men sort of construct this lantern out of the metal that is from the meteorite, they all die in the light from the lantern after trying to kill each other over its creation. The lantern then somehow manages to make its way to the United States and gives life to a man in an insane asylum by clearing up his mental illness? Question mark? Mm -hmm. Seems pretty vague, but it does that, and then gives him a quote-unquote new life because he is now free to live his life without the shackles of whatever problems he was having. Meanwhile, while the guy was working with the lantern, he turned it into the railway lantern that it is now looking like. I guess he kind of disposed of it somehow, and it is now somewhere at this rail yard that Alan Scott is working at. Now, the lantern is going to give power, and it gives it to Alan Scott, telling him that every 24 hours, you can have this power again, it will recharge, but what you have to do is make some sort of ring that you can use my power with. I think that, if memory serves, that was specifically him saying, let me make this transportable. Mm -mm. It would be well for you to utilize part to take to make a ring, a ring with my flame. To renew its power, the ring must touch the Green Lantern once every 24 hours. The lantern's right, pretty chatty in the first time we see it and yeah, it never oh, yeah. speaks again. That's true. It's Which used as a source of exposition and then nothing. Right. Also, has... let's talk briefly about the perspective on that show. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're it... going to get to that in a second. But <laughs> as Alan wakes up from his weird sort of fugue state, he takes the lantern realizes that he has powers and finds his buddy and says, oh, we both know that this was Derek, or at least you you said that you thought Derek would try and sabotage us. I'm going to go get him. So Scott, apparently an engineer who's also very good at metallurgy and craftsmanship and jewelry making, makes a ring and makes it look like the tiny little green lantern on it as well and uses the ring to fly to Derek's house, use the fourth dimension to go through a wall and then confront these men. Alan finds out that he is immune to metals. So the guns don't really do anything because the bullets kind of bounce off him. However, um, he's kind of susceptible to wooden fists, it looks like. But it seems that Alan doesn't have any more strength than his own. Uh, it also, I also seem to possess only my normal strength, he says, which will change later because it seems that later as the Green Lantern does things physically, they use uh, adjectives like Herculean. That's interesting. I actually didn't notice that. They describe the feats that he does with, like, Herculean strength or with power that he, you know, with his strong muscles. I'm like, he's not that strong. He's just an engineer. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're going to get to, these are very pulp stories. I wonder if it's very, like, Sandman-ish where, you know, he's just written as super buff and all that. Regardless, yeah. Um, Scott then begins to round up all the men and take the man, Derek, that he was trying to get. And he flies him, pulls a Superman, sort of just flies him early up in the sky to scare him. The guy says he'll confess. He writes his confession then promptly has a heart attack. That's body count one for Alan Scott as Green Lantern. Um, you scared a man to death. You scared him into cardiac arrest. Boo on you, Alan. He then creates one of the most garish looking costumes I've ever seen in my entire life to be oh, the Green Lantern man. outfit. And uh, now he's the Green Lantern. So we're going to talk about the art for a second. So the art is done for every issue, whether under a pseudonym or not, by a man named Martin Nadell, or Nodell, depending on how you want to say it. And everything is written by Bill Finger. So you know it's good. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I like Bill Finger a lot, but there are certain times when Bill is like, hey, buddy, this is uh, Gardner Fox's territory. Maybe you should kind of back off. So we have the end of this origin story and it's alan scott his blonde guy he's dressed kind of in german marshall pants like a german marshall's pants like they got the little poof out on the side uh, they look like cotton normal person pants i mean okay let's first of all 
This is a guy who is not a reporter and not a millionaire and not a secret agent. So he's dressed in the most normal clothing we've ever seen. True. I'll agree with that. Um, he's not dressed professionally at this moment. Mm-hmm. So he looks a little weird now. It's like place. it's khakis. These are like, 1930s nice normal dude clothes. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. So Scott is dressed like an average Joe. Rather 1940s clothes. So here is how I would describe the costume. Christmas Elf does goth night. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, I would have said pirate with a cape. Yeah. Well, pirate with a vampire cape. It's yeah, like really... but, but a specific kind of pirate. Because specifically what we're looking at is green leggings, red boots, and a red uh, blouse jacket tunic, <laughs> uh, and a high-collared purple cape with a green inset or a green interior for the the purple cape as well as the green lantern symbol in green and yellow on his chest yeah it's just it looks like a bunch of primary colors if you thought the sandman had no idea how to dress himself you certainly haven't met alan oh my god so we're gonna move on to august 1940 all american comics number 17 uh, first thing to mention here, Alan Scott is with his boss uh, bidding on a construction job in Metropolis. That's never going to come up again, and I, we, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about that later when the name of another city shows up. But they're in Metropolis, so presumably... And not a Metropolis, just Metropolis. In, yeah, it says, in the city of Metropolis. So at this mm-hmm. point, remember, Superman is about three years going, 38, 39, 40. So he's been going for quite a while, especially if this is August. So Metropolis would have been established by now. We got to 3940 when Metropolis and the Daily Planet were a thing. So this is probably the first time that that we're aware of where they're allowing that cross-brand world building. And it feels like we'll occasionally, even going forward a couple times, we'll see bits where it was like, it feels like they looked at Superman and said, let's take pieces of this. Correct. And maybe not necessarily executing well on that. Right. So Alan Scott and his boss lose out on the deal and they find out that the... uh, guy who's doing the construction as well as the guy who's hiring are both racketeers they're kind of doing this to make some sort of business deal go well for them alan scott isn't too keen on that so he gets his green lantern ring charges it up just in case something bad's going to happen and of course lo and behold someone does a drive-by on him when he after he had confronted the two men saying someone's fishy here and of course he's fine because metal doesn't hurt the green lantern so he changes he follows them uh, with his power, he glides through the fourth dimension again to go through a wall. And he freezes these men with a blazing wall of green light. He cuts through some steel beams with the green lantern ring. And um, does some altogether pretty impressive stuff. They knock him out with like a trap door above him. And then they chain him up and they throw him in the water. He breaks out, of course, because metal is no match for the green ring. He pops up and kind of puts himself in a wall, kind of like a projection, and then pretends to be a ghost and freaks out one of the guys who's like, sure, I'll confess. The guy next to him says, bullshit, shoots him. I'm going to say that's body count for Alan Scott, because you could have prevented that guy from killing the other dude, especially with your Green Lantern ring that apparently can do everything. And we'll see a trend of bad guys just kind of die around him. He doesn't quite earn the benefit of the doubt. This is clearly not Batman's, so Bill Finger is just doing whatever he wants and no one's stopping him. That, and I think it's early in the process relatively remember so. this is 1940 batman yeah. stopped killing people after a while he did but it felt like it was later than this. superman hasn't either no no, no. this mm-hmm. is the last one we did the batman hardly killed many people he had those that big thing that dropped when was people. that when was that oh gosh um 
November 1940? This right. is August, so... Okay. This is around the same time where Batman would have been tapering off of his... Killing, killing spree. <laughs> as well as Superman had been tapering off at least yeah. in the 1930... In 1939 to 1940. Alright, I'll so give the, that to you. It, it didn't feel like it was that different in timing. Sandman, who but, was yeah. 1940, was not killing as much. Yeah, I'll agree with that. So, this is weird that mm. Alan Scott is kind of just willy-nilly having a lot of death. And, and he'll Bill, keep doing it. This feels like the book that Bill Finger was like, can I kill people in? And like just yeah. was doing it. This was This is and remains a pulp series. Right. With pulp rationale of... The bad guys lost, they confess, and they die. Right. Uh, the, one of the lines that I always liked was uh, a very simplistic reader of stories, like the, the stereotypical, like, ant next door. It's never a good story unless it ends with a marriage or a death. Right. Well, here you go. Exactly. Alan Scott, of course, after the man gets shot, punches out the other mobster and leaves a giant Green Lantern imprint on his cheek. That is going to be his calling card so that people know the Green Lantern was here. And it's not entirely clear that it's an imprint either. It just it looks almost like they, looks, it looks like, like Nadell just drew the Green Lantern on the person's yes, face. Yes. So it's a bit of a strange issue, but it's just to kind of set up the fact that the Green Lantern ring does a lot. Alan Scott is kind of a hero? Question mark. Let's also remind you that the ring has done this so far: flown him, cut through metal, melted steel beams. Stop dudes from running at him with either a wall or some energy. Allowed him to transport through the quote-unquote fourth dimension. And allowed him to keep himself inside of a wall, but also still be visible to mess with people. And prevents him from getting shot from metal. Or just being hurt from metal in general. Mostly, it seems like the majority of the times when we see the ring being used, it is... I think similar to the tactile telekinesis or projected telekinesis that we see in uh, Superboy or uh, Marvel Girl uh, or phasing. Right. But then, I mean, we get some this different... is fundamentally magic, so right. we're going to see a lot of random powers. We'll get some different stuff as it goes on. Um, September 1940, number 18 of All American Comics. Again, the New York World's Fair. Were you ever sick of that place? Because I sure as hell am getting sick of the World's Fair. So let's remember what's happening at the world at the 1940 New York World's Fair, shall we? Superman and Lois Lane are doing a thing with a guy who's got like a Voss gun. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sandman and his girlfriend, the lady in the evening clothes, are with Auntie What's Her Face. Oh, and um, Batman and Robin are doing a thing here too so the New York World's Fair is clearly not a safe place to be because as Green Lantern shows up he finds a woman trying to shoot a man in a club at the New York World's Fair he stops her he questions her and she says that man framed my brother for crimes that he didn't commit and I want to free him and he goes don't worry I think I know somebody who can deal with that this is the first time we've had mention of an alter ego knowing the hero Sandman doesn't really talk about that so much as people know he's the Sandman. There's one instance, and I think it was another Bill Finger, uh, Batman, I, let me talk to my detective friend. Right, and that's, well, no, that's Gardner mm-hmm. Fox, the, Ooh, the flowers right, with the right. faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So remember, it's, if it's really mm-hmm. strange, it's Gardner Fox. <laughs> that uh, explains so much. So this is like a weird instance where Alan Scott is establishing that he knows the Green Lantern. And that's never been done before. I mean, Superman kind of has a relationship with Lois Lane and she says that, but the alter ego has mm. never had a relationship with the other version. That's true. So he charges up, and this is the first time he says his oath. And I shall shed my light over dark evil, for the dark things cannot stand the light of the Green Lantern. 
doesn't really roll off the tongue. But that's something he will say forever and ever now as yeah. he charges up and changes into the Green Lantern. That's his, like, it's his action oath. cry. Right, that's his oath. So, of course, he breaks into jail by phasing through everything, finds the young man, asks him what's going on. And he says, well, they're going to steal from this charity concert. Goes and stops the thugs from stealing from a charity concert only to find out that they are trying to... Uh, they're blackmailing a man by also kidnapping his daughter and having her in the Parisphere, which is the giant sphere at the New York World's Fair. So these guys are very That's busy right, criminals. Yeah. They're stealing money and they're also doing a kidnapping. It's kind of a twofer. I don't know. Like Clearly there's something... There's lack of security at the New York World's Fair. And also a new power for Alan Scott. He reads a man's mind with the ring to find out where the young girl is being held. So that's another new power for the ring. Um, Scott, unfortunately... Let's this bad guy kind of follow his death. That's another body count. We're up to three. We've only got three issues so far. And the guy confesses after he kind of lands on the ground and then dies unceremoniously. But all is well that ends well. And Alan Scott now has Irene Miller in his life. The woman who he helped, whose brother had been framed. Irene is very thankful and says she was impressed by the dashing hero of the Green Lantern. And he says, oh, that's wonderful. But wouldn't you like to go out with me? Irene and Alan have kind of a nice relationship, if weird at times but moving forward october 1940 uh number 19 of all american comics green lantern foils insurance racket that gamblers are using to kill people who owe them money basically they are letting guys get in debt in their gambling dens and saying hey well if you take this insurance policy out and if anything ever happens to you we'll get rid of your debt because when if you die we'll get paid back from your insurance policy and the guys think wow that sure is a great deal gee willikers and then of course they are unceremoniously killed by mobsters later in quote-unquote freak accidents and then the mobsters get to collect the money this is also kind of one of the first mentions uh mentions of willpower yeah um where he's uh where he says like the power of his will is helping him complete these things here's another one right here he's straight mm -hmm. up like one-handed flipping this dude and that's a lot more strength than just his own strength so that's kind of a thing yeah he um, he definitely has pulp level strength yeah he has he has action hero uh powers mm -hmm. so that's kind of a cut and dry issue except he does kill the big bad by uh having him fall in a pit of lie at the end yeah um so for those of you who don't know lie is usually the substance used in movies that criminals have to melt down bodies so that they don't leave any evidence this guy had a big old vat of lie hanging around and uh alan scott straight up hits him with green lantern light and um pushes him in yep. and uh he kills that dude so that's a straight up that's uh four for him now he's he's going on a good pace here mm-hmm any notes? Uh, general ones, but uh, if, you, if not, you have any, feel free. Go, 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 you have one, any, go one more issue. I, I do. Suspect uh, that. I do want to make a note um, of this issue right here. What is this cover? What is this cover? I don't know. I didn't notice that initially, and then we were reading through this just now, and it's like, um, Ooh, boy, we're gonna show yeah. that. All America Comics number twenty, November nineteen forty. Uh, a radio broadcaster is shot dead outside of the radio station. Green Lantern investigates and he finds out that the Apex Broadcasting Company, Irene, works there. Mm -hmm. And she's under the impression that Alan has figured out where she works and has come to visit her. And oh, he how sweet. And, hey, I mean, that's kind of nice that she kind of was interested in seeing Alan again because she's, like, kind of into it. And he goes, oh, actually, I'm here to see if there's a job position 
to cover up what he's actually doing. She's like, oh, well, you should talk to my boss. Like, she's not really injured by that. She's kind of like, oh, well, I guess, whatever. Like, she plays it off. It's kind of cool. Irene seems like a nice girl. Mm-hmm. Um, a job, and I thought you came here to see me. My charm must be slipping. Anyway, how have you been? Do anything exciting lately? Irene and Alan have, like, a nice, like, cordial, flirty relationship that I actually kind of like. It would be great if it got more screen time. The issue that I perpetually have with Irene is that she's written as though she's almost Lois Lane. She she's, is yeah, the, she's written as she has as if she has the same screen time as Lois Lane, but doesn't. And and even aside from the screen time, uh, additionally, I mean, she's the reporter. She's a little bit more in love with Green Lantern than. I wouldn't with, say she's a reporter. She's uh, she's, she's, a, she's an interviewer. She's hounding the stories. Like she might not be a reporter proper, but she is absolutely doing the same, yeah, like chasing stories. She's a she is a uh, a broadcast host for radio mm-hmm. segments. Yeah, as we there later are points, find out, there are points where it'll be like, oh, there's this story. I'll she yeah, duck I guess out yeah. She's she's as much of a reporter as the NPR people are essentially. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how, right. how I, those can be radio reporters. So yeah, I would say she's yeah. kind of somewhat she's of a doing reporter. investigative journalism, newscaster, something yeah. like that. Uh, but the thing is that. It feels like she's trying. They're trying to write her as though they're pulling the best of elements from Lois Lane, but she doesn't have the fire. She also just doesn't have things to do because she yeah. will be replaced by another sidekick. Hmm. So that's the problem. Is that yeah, she's, yeah, kind she of. is kind More of. Than she kind takes of. a back seat because uh, with Sandman you have the lady in the evening clothing, which mm-hmm. is his like partner in crime, and Lois Lane is a plot device for Clark. Yeah. Uh, Irene is set dressing. Much, yeah. Much like um, yeah. uh, Julie. Hmm. Much like Julie Madison, she mm-hmm. is set dressing. She is yeah. maybe there for plot, but at the end of the day, she's there to make the character look like someone can stand being around him. Yeah, I- I'll agree with that. That's the thing. If you take away the fire and the agency, you're left well, she with... She has more them. agency than Julie does. She does yes, go I'll off and do things I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. So, moving mm-hmm. forward... Irene uh, introduces Alan to her boss who says, hey, um, we don't really have jobs for a radio engineer. Also, okay, are we going to decide now that Alan's a radio engineer? What was he doing at that train track and what was he doing at that other contract job? He's he's an Edison. He is a general engineer. He's a general engineer? That's okay. the best I sure. can come up okay. with. But Alan is now decidedly the, the a radio engineer. The key phrase is that he is always engineer. Right. They always say the word engineer at the end there. So mm-hmm. he's an educated gentleman who knows <laughs> stuff about radios, which in the 1940s is probably a very cutting-edge field to be in with mm-hmm. the amount of wireless technology we were having at the time. So yep. that's kind of neat that he's kind of a new tech engineer. Mm-hmm. So... Alan, yeah, also I have a note. What has Alan been doing all this time sitting in his sanctum? Because they refer to his sanctum a lot. And I'm like, is that his apartment? I didn't guess that. Yeah, they they have moments where they refer to Alan's wherever he lives as his sanctum. And I'm like, that's an apartment. He lives in an apartment. It's It's no more a sanctum than Bruce's sitting room is. So he finds out that the station owner is actually giving coded broadcasts in advertisements to mobsters and so he breaks up the mobsters uh, stealing things off of ships and then confronts the station owner by kind of recording him while he confronts him so that he gets evidence and the station owner he knocks him the heck out and um, has the cops listen to the uh, recording and the guy gets arrested Um, this is also an instance where Alan and Irene get confronted by while they're investigating the murder and they get separated in two different rooms, and, and Alan saves her as the Green Lantern. No, no, uh, Alan 
uh, escapes his bonds, does all the Green Lantern stuff, comes back as Alan Scott, and then saves her. To kind mm-hmm. of, like, be like, see, aren't I cool? As opposed to, like, saving her as Green Lantern and, mm-hmm. like, making her still love Green Lantern. It's an interesting thing where he, like, purposely tries to save her as Alan. Like, he's purposely doing all that effort. So, that's it. It's a kind of a short and sweet issue with not a lot going on other than the fact that now, after exposing this fraud, Alan is given a job at the broadcasting station by the new owner for the work that he's done. So, now Alan has a job. Which he thinks is going to help him because uh, help him because he can now hear all the radio broadcasts and like be everywhere and do things. Kind of it's, essentially what oh, Clark it's does. The exact same justification as what Clark has. Right. So we go to December nineteen forty, All American Comics number twenty one. Uh, mobsters try and fool an old couple with a fake son mm-hmm. who actually ends up turning out to be their real son, um, and like steal the money that they have. Um, but the the fake son, real son, falls in love with the, the family and like doesn't want to help them and gets in trouble in Greenland. It's it's very far fetched, but it's a sh- it's a pretty straightforward. Green Lantern saves these people and also reunites them with their real son by helping them figure out he's their real son. It's an enjoyably pulp narrative. Right. It's got the right amount of little twists. It's a it's I mean we've said this I've said this before about other things but it's a Sherlock Holmes story right a couple little twists and oh secrets revealed and hooray right nice tidy resolution he also allows the mobster to kill his other partner yeah um, which is another body count for Alan um, so he's at five now but also I'm gonna stop right here strange company you keep Tommy a thug and a shyster lawyer really Shyster, we're gonna say that that's not a nice term. That's like a that's a bad that's a bad Jew slang term. So that was weird to me, and I was like, you're gonna straight up say that? Like, I don't know if we've covered this before in the mm-hmm. podcast. I feel like we have, but just to reiterate, it's not a good term. It's not. <laughs> don't say that to people. <laughs> that's a questionable thing to say. Uh, always, it's unfortunate that it is also tied to Jewish people as well as lawyers. Yeah, it's not cool. So, boo, Bill Finger, boo. Bad on you. All-American Comics, number 22, January 1941. Happy New Year. Green Lantern saves a fighter from having to take a dive. Look, boxing! <laughs> we haven't seen that before. Every hero has to have some kind of interaction with a professional sport. Superman had boxing and football. Green Lantern had this. Uh, Wonder Woman had bullfighting. The only two that I don't yeah. think had any real interaction with sports were maybe Sandman and Batman. Everybody else has had their sports mission. They've all had their outing with Zuko. <laughs> like, I don't understand why we need to keep. Now doing I'm this. imagining Zuko as I'm imagining Prince Zuko on Ava. as as the coach of an AYSO team. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to have somebody help him and just hang. Just all the patients, just they're playing amoeba ball, Aang. What am I supposed to do? I love it. I love no, no, soccer no, no. coach. No, no, no. Zuko. no, no, no. Tough as soccer coach. And him as the overly enthusiastic dad yes. on the sidelines. Everyone's got to have orange slices and honor. <laughs> Sorry. Well done. Well uh, done. Anyway, back to the comic. Um, <laughs> it's we could, we could do an entire podcast where we just do we really AU fanfic. We really could, and <laughs> God, no one should let us do that. Um, it's the internet, right? We could do it, and no one would stop us. Uh, Green Lantern. No save. one would listen either. 
No one would listen either, right. So, as he saves the spider from having to take a dive, we actually find out that the weakness has been extended from wooden objects to just non-metal objects. So, he's the reverse of Batman. He's weak to everything except bullets, and Batman is weak to everything, including bullets. <laughs> I don't think that's how opposites work. Well, he's just a weird <laughs> but version I know you of mean, Batman. I know you mean. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things yeah, but, where... But fundamentally, he's also written as a pulp hero in the same way that Batman at a certain point was written as right. a pulp so the, hero. But let's, let's take a moment here and realize everyone has a weakness except Superman. Yeah. Because even the Green Rays didn't stop him. Yeah. He has yet to actually encounter something that is his all-time, like, always going to knock me out. Because remember, the electro, the ultra-humanite electroshocked him. And then he also, in later, in one of the more recent episodes we did, touches an electroshock thing and then touches a dude and kills that dude. Yep, I remember so that. So he is not really affected frequently by the same thing that he always is. So there is no current weakness for Superman. Meanwhile, Batman has bullets. Green Lantern has things that are non-metal. Sandman is everything. Wonder Woman has being bound in shackles. Mm-hmm. So everyone's got a weakness but Superman right now, and it's really interesting. Well, that might partly be, be because uh, the two we men- that you just mentioned, uh, uh, Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, are magic-driven characters. True, but still, I just... But yeah, specific. Yeah. There's a specific call-out that always is something that causes them to have to have something to triumph over. Mm-hmm. Versus Superman never has a weakness that he has to triumph over. Yep. Except that one time when he was hypnotized by that dude, and he kind of was not really in control of his actions. And that mm-hmm. still, he still kicked the crap out of people while yeah. doing that. So I don't really count that situation. So I do actually want to take a minute to highlight this, because I think it was something that really kind of defined the subtext of the story. So we mentioned that we had initially the it was uh an, an aladdin style lamp uh that was reforged into a train uh, western lan- western lantern. train lantern you had it initially it was a meteorite that landed in china and then it made its way to an american it's a set of magic powers but specifically it is used by an engineer it is magic but it is not it is all powerful against everything except for metal, the sign of industry. Or it, it's 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 strong against metal except for everything non-metal. Yes, that, that's what I mean, yes. Uh, correct. So it's an interesting interplay that I read into which it. Which then of, elevates the magic quality because it's magic. It's it's invulnerable to industry. Mm-hmm. It's more it's yes, fantasy. It's exactly it's that. Musical. It is... Yeah. Uh, for me, I read that as a fascinating degree of interplay between the mystical and the hard realism. Right. And it feels like that's always kind of there, but never played with as a theme. It's just part of the motif of those two things coming together. Right. They're, they're good issues to read. Mm-hmm. They're quick reads. Oh, yeah. These are enjoyable. And there was nothing... These are enjoyable. Oh, yeah. Um... It's just really interesting how amorphous he is as a character right now. Yep. Um, also, I just want to mention that they keep bringing up the Apex radio station as well as uh, Tyler, who seems to be like the dude that both Irene and Alan know, who is like the guy who knows stuff. 
He's a co-worker of theirs that every time they see him, they're like, what's up, Tyler? And Tyler will tell them something and then they'll investigate it. I didn't catch that. So I just like that Tyler's a recurring character. Again, I like characters that have friends. Wonder Woman has that at Candy. Um, Alan Scott clearly has Irene and Tyler. Uh, Sandman has literally all of his friends that show up, as well as the lady in the evening clothing and her father and Aunt What's-Her-Face, Aunt Granny. But Superman and Batman don't really have friends outside of their working circles. Uh, Superman has, like, no friends. As I wouldn't even count Lois as a friend, really, by the way that they interact. And I don't really count your young ward as your friend for Batman. Hmm. Your young your young man-gentleman friend. Oh, uh, no. Correction. He has a friend. Commissioner Gordon. Kind of. Well, I, I would say that when he shows up, he is a It's friend. a guy that will tolerate yeah. his presence because he finds him entertaining. <laughs> That's fair. All-American Comics, number 23, February 1941. Uh, Green Lantern saves an actress from being blackmailed about her mobster father. Interesting story. Kind Did of, you? Yeah, it's, it's not a bad story. It's just, it's very pulp. It's very much a normal detective comic that is spiced up by the fact that the guy has a magic ring. Hmm. Um, he wipes people's minds and yeah. freezes them in place. So he freezes these two guards at the at the prison in place and then like goes into the prison to speak to her mobster father who is ends up being a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And um, he wipes the minds of the other mobsters in the room so that they don't remember that she is related to the mobster. So the ring is now getting more and more powerful. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that he lets the two mobsters, the bad mobster and her mobster father, kill each other. It's one of those instances where they're holding the girl hostage with a gun and they say you know stop or we'll kill her and he lets himself be bound i'm like you still have the ring the ring can do literally anything phase through it turn invisible shoot them with the ring behind your back do literally anything with this ring it clearly can and you just let these two men kind of like duel he's got willpower not imagination right uh so that's body count two for him and he's up to seven oh boy Oh my, yes. Oh boy, this is the first cover that I'm sure gave you pause, but there were some others that were not cool. <sighs> All-American Comics, March 1941, number 24. My first note for this comic is, Bill was doing so well. I, I remember the moment when you got to that. I was making, I was cooking eggs, eggs, and you just kind of looked over and was just like, why you felt the you felt the need to expound yeah, on it? Yeah, I was like, this is just there's a whole lot of bad going on in this. Um, yep. First, we get the note that I think Green Lantern is in Capital City, and we'll get, mm. I'll get to why I think he's in Capital mm. City in a moment. But it seems like there's some sort of indentured servitude racket that is happening within Capital City. People would say slavery. Yeah. I don't classify it as slavery because they enter into a contract. Just because the contract isn't good, it's it's indentured servitude, which mm. is essentially just legal slavery. Yeah. It's slavery with a contract. That's that, That's the difference between indentured servitude and slavery. One had paperwork, the other one... one had Especially at the levels of compensation right. that they've got right now. One had paperwork the, that was clearly not a bill of sale. Mm-hmm. And the True. other one is slavery. <laughs> and, and also it's a quasi-fate contract in the sense yeah. that they do a little bit of bait and switch. You don't need to read what you're about to sign. Right. Also, it is you're very getting, much playing yeah. off of fears and... Over sensationalized fears of right. white slavery, and and also the idea that work was bad in the nineteen forties. Right now, with people you know going at war, we're still kind of getting under the Great Depression. Jobs really aren't what they used to be at the moment. People are still probably having trouble getting work, mm-hmm. um, especially with the war going on. 
I don't know at what point we ramped up production on tanks specifically, but one way or another, there was certainly plenty of production going on. Right. Uh, but people there were, were people. There families. were people being left behind right. by the economic recovery. So this man enters into a contract with these people, and basically he's taken to a tropical island that seems to be populated by Mexican banditos. Yeah, it's Mexico. Men, men with sombreros that are very coded to be Mexican banditos. Yeah. It's supposed to be Mexico, but they say a tropical island, so it makes me want to say Central America, maybe. Cuba? I don't know. So I can actually add another layer of confusion. The main bandito here, uh, who is the embodiment of every Stereotype, white nationalist yeah. fear, uh, is uh, Pancho Lupo. Pancho Lupo. Uh, Lupo's Italian. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. that's true. You would. I would know that. <laughs> so it doesn't... It's just... Oh. Yeah, like, I don't think there were any Italian colonies in the Americas Mm -mm. not that I'm aware of so this man sneaks aboard a ship bound back for the United States to to try and get aid for the rest of the men at the at the uh, indentured slavery camp it is exactly it is the third time that we have run across the uh, poorly run work camp right uh, story Corey town the kids and good memory Uh, so we uh both of those were Superman stories, too, which yep. is interesting. Yep. This is the first one that's now somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, he stumbles across the Apex Radio Station, so which makes me think it's Apex Radio is in Capital City because he probably went home to talk to all mm-hmm. of those people first because that's the easiest because why go across the nation? I think probably... there's also some later uh, Capital City stuff. Right. So Alan Scott decides that this story is really interesting, and he takes like a month's vacation and then goes to this tropical island and frees all these people. And that's the end of the story. Oh, except that he also downs his plane and kills the pilot. So that's body count one. So he's yeah. at eight right now. But it's just a whole lot of racism going on and some weird story situations. And Look at these creepy banditos stealing our people. Right. Forcing yeah. them to do terrible work conditions. Oh, boy. Yeah. I don't know enough about the plantation systems of the 1930s, 1940s, but uh, I know enough to know that things were shitty. Right. All-American Comics, number 25, April 1941. He stops a stock rep from sabotaging a steel mill. Um, and some people fall in bats well, of molten steel. Yeah, one guy... Some uh, shit goes down, my friends. One guy falls down some stairs. A dude that he trips falls oh, down yeah. some stairs and breaks his neck. And then he also drops the bad guy into a vat of molten slag. So that's two. So that's body count two. That's ten for Alan Scott. Uh, first time, though, that he runs out of juice for his ring. That's true, yeah. And there's no build-up to it. It's just, oops, oops, I guess I forgot. I forgot. Guess I'll drive this tank through this wall, which is exactly what he does. Yep. So, Alan Scott, not a subtle man. Mm-hmm. Also, the bad guy is dressed in like a weird sort of supervillain attire, except it's not a supervillain. It's just some guy trying to hide his personality. It's, it's like a, a classy blue suit with a handkerchief not like a, it almost not looks like a Venetian mouth. It almost it's looks over like a, his face. Yeah, it almost looks like a Venetian Carnivale mask. Yeah, it, uh, it, it has that same like is seated on your face rather than like, a, rather than hiding just the bottom half of your face like right. like a bandito mask. But he, it's it's the equivalent of Guigui del uh, Guigui del Slimo's domino mask in Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's but... not there to make him a villain. It's just because he's trying to hide his identity, mm. which is dumb. Uh, All American Comics number twenty six, May nineteen forty one. Green Lantern goes uncovered to expose loan sharks. Pretty much it. 
Like, he yeah. finds out about Lone Sharks, and he's like, boy, I want to join your gang. And they're like, cool. And then he, like, does some stuff for them, and then uses that as an excuse to, like, go to the cops and be like, they're doing a thing, and then gets them arrested. Um, he, another green indent on people's face. Oh, by the way, another circus. So green yeah. So these guys Admittedly, are... it's not a circus issue, though. No, but it's another circus where just more nonsense happens, where these men are essentially loan sharks and when the people don't pay up they do bad stuff to the people's property and i guess the circus people haven't paid up on their protection or their loan i wonder where we've heard that storyline before right and they release a lion into the circus and green lantern like uses a torch to out of his ring to kind of like force the cat back into its cage and then saves everybody at the circus hooray I like how done you are with circus stories. I just, I can't anymore. Like, I understand that probably at the time they were, they had some cultural significance and it was a thing that people could do because it's mass entertainment and it's, you know, it's a fair without it being the New York World's Fair. I'm, but clearly circuses are bad places to be too in this world. I went to the circus a couple times as a kid. DC Comics circuses and the New York World's Fair are bad places. All-American, number 27, June 1941. Literally a vehicle to introduce probably my favorite new character in comics history right now, Doiby Dickles. <laughs> Alright, describe, please. Doiby Dickles is a short, squat man wearing a derby, which he pronounces Doiby, and uh, wearing suspenders, a yellow striped shirt, and he's a cab driver. Doiby essentially becomes Green Lantern's sidekick fully replacing Irene. However, oh, yeah. Doiby and Irene do a lot of work together. So it's kind of this weird vehicle for Doiby to be her driver. So it leaves Alan Scott free to become Green Lantern. So there's no question as to whether or not Alan is the Green Lantern. Agreed. I I would I would like it a lot more if that Doiby and Irene relationship was actually had some space to develop as, no, we're actually buddies, we right. we take care of stuff, but it's entirely, you mentioned this one earlier, uh, a vehicle for plot and window right. dressing. They and do, however, that. they do, however, state after this that Doiby does kind of become the unofficial cab driver for the Apex radio station. Mm-hmm. So he does seem to be growing fond of the people at Apex, even if it's yeah, just Irene and Alan. It's told, not shown. Right. However, Doiby is written thusly, and I'm going to do it justice by All doing right, go the for appropriate it, go for voice. It. 19 Chatham Road, on, on the sound, cabbie. Your very wish is my command, lady. Gee, ain't it certainly a peachy day? Yeah, he sounds no, like it's, that's exactly how it's written. Like now. I, he looks like he sounds like Wally Gator. Like all his stuff is phonetic. Hey, that ain't no way to treat a lady. Well, the guy smashes me, Doiby. That's the last straw. And it is written exactly as it's how you I'm think. saying it and pronouncing it. Yep. Now you've done it. You's have gone and aggravated me beyond the limit. I love the uh, I love the the length to which he expounds there. Oh my god, it's amazing. Doiby is such a weird. He looks he looks like he shouldn't sound like that, but the way he's written it just it sounds like he would sound like Wally Gator to me. And it's just so funny and Green Lantern takes a shine to him because he fights to protect Irene. He wants to, you know, expose bad people. So they become partners. And it's kind of a nice little weird partnership. The issue takes a weird sort of turn where Doiby um, dresses up like the Green Lantern because he thinks Green Lantern got killed and tries to save Irene and 
Green Lantern's like, eh, it took some guts. You're a cool dude. It's just really, there's not a whole lot in this issue other than the fact that it's just a vehicle to introduce Doiby. One thing I want to call out, uh, this is, I think, a really good example of something we see in a couple different stories, is the tonal dissonance between the original main character and the stories that are being told and the sidekick. Uh, I'm a big believer, I, I've... I flash back to especially Tim Drake as Robin. Right. Uh, feels like that character is written and designed to be complementary to Batman. Right. Kind of joking, but not far off center. And I think it's one of the other reasons when uh, Dick is written as Robin, especially in animated series stuff, he has to be the kind of malicious jester. Right. Uh, right. Whereas here, Doiby is just. He he's doing round. This, he's, he's doing the smack talk. He's doing smack talk, but it's the way I envision it is there are moments where there needs to be a laugh track. Right. It's sitcom humor. Yes. Uh, like he bursts into a room and kind of looks around. Say, well, I thought there was a party in here. It's that, it's that moment. Yes, and that. it just doesn't make any sense with the pulp that's happening. But yes, it's, because Alan you know, Scott is still a serious kind of chuckle kind of guy. Oh, but, oh, Doiby. Yeah, but anytime he's not around Doiby, it's just like, well, bowling pins, motherfuckers. Right, and also Doiby knows how to handle himself and beats the crap out of a bunch of people. Which, so. which is a redeeming factor. Right. He's not just the weak comic relief. And also he getting is, beat up. It's, he does his fair mm-hmm. share of fighting. Yeah, to his credit. He, as a character, he could be worse. Yes, he very much could be. <laughs> he could be Julie uh, Madison. I was going to say, uh, Aunt What's-Her-Face. Yeah, Aunt Granny. <laughs> All American number 28, July 1941. Uh, a character named the Spider is killing off rich individuals with a drug and then hypnosis and ter- putting them into cardiac arrest. Um, pretty much cut and dry. Green Lantern stops that from happening. I do want to call one thing out. Bill Finger, I know that this is about 64, 65 years too late to ask this, but please come up with new names for your characters. Because we had, uh, within a couple issue span, we had Parrot Malone and Al Maloney and a guy named Strake and Harvard Drake. Mm-hmm. It's just... Uh, yep. I actually legitimately wondered, wait, is this uh, Eris getting person? married to somebody that we just saw? Nope, okay. Right. Uh, All-American Comics number 29, August 1941. My second favorite character is introduced. Mortimer Pestle. Oh, God, yeah. Mortimer Pestle is a chemist who makes counterfeit drugs that he gives to the mafia to sell it cheap uh, to apothecaries. And uh, Mortimer Pestle gets his by getting dropped in a vat of acid uh, by Green Lantern. So that's another one from Alan Scott. That's 11. <laughs> Meanwhile, Doiby is now appearing in every single issue yeah. of Green Lantern as his sidekick for all of these adventures. And don't mess with his derby. Right. If you do, um, he will beat the ever-loving snot out of you. This guy does shoot a hole in it, but he gets really... It happens. Like, there's a surprise... That, do- that, of... that, that derby gets, like, really messed up. Doiby damage? Doiby damage. All-American Comics, number 30, September 1941. The last issue will cover Green Lantern stops racketeers from extorting and killing newly uh, bailed prisoners. Basically, um, they find individuals who are going to jail who can't afford to make bail so they have to go to jail and then they go to them and say hey we'll pay your bail for you and then they'll make them do stuff or they'll try and you know get money out of them uh, bad bail bondsman right 
uh, Irene investigates this with uh, Doivy, which is very interesting. And also, the Green Lantern Ring hypnotizes some people in this issue, so it's just more powers. But that's about it. There's really befuddled no... bad bail bondsman. Yes, befuddled. Just keep going with the bees. I'm, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. But that's all we're gonna cover right now. I mean, oh, I can't go any further. You can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but that's what we're going to cover right now, and we're going to, again, that was 15 issues. We tried to go as fast as possible through all of that. That's a lot. Um, but I think it's a good start for this character, and I'm really happy with where we landed on this character. It's a good mm-hmm. breath, a good show yeah. of the character. He's mm-hmm. an engineer. He works at a radio station. You see his girl. You see his sidekick. You see his whole M.O., uh, Doiby has a way of contacting him by shooting mm-hmm. off a green flare into the sky. They're That's in Capital right. City. He's a pulp character. We've mm-hmm. pretty much seen a good breadth of his powers. We have what Green Lantern is. This is pretty much Green Lantern as far as I'm aware. I don't have as much of a grounding with Alan Scott as a character I don't have any. as I do with other characters. So, as it happens, this is not a bad look at him, I think. I mean, this is probably not Alan Scott as we would see him today in Earth no, 2. But... This was a good character to read. I can understand why yeah. he's probably successful to some degree. Mm-hmm. He's this. This was as fun to read as the Sandman issues. I think I will agree with that. And I don't think it quite hits some of the peaks of right. of Sandman in that first half, but it's consistently right in there. Right. Uh, the one thing, like I agree, I I do think those narratives are pulpy and fun most of the time. It's interesting that I, I actually think Alan Scott really is about the same character as the Sandman. Pretty much, yeah, he is Sandman. Yeah, just generic uh, pulp hero. I have him written down as the uh, the patriarchal pulp hero and the face of empire. He's always smoking a pipe, like one of those serious, like... You uh, know what I'm, <laughs> what we're talking about when he says pipe. Yeah. And he's always nagging Irene, uh, always doing that, like, well, did you really put your... Um, did you really poke your pretty little nose in there? And it's like, okay, you know, that's patriarchal. All right, right. Well, there you go. Uh, the art is occasionally weird. We talked a little bit yeah. about that. There's not enough shading, mostly. There's some moments where it's genuinely really good, like, character art. But a lot of the time it just... And we'll see this... I mean, we've seen this in other comics as well. Just, like, flat, no shading. And on some faces it just makes them look distorted. Right. There's a lot of weird art choices that don't make it seem consistent across the entire book. And which bothers God, me because it's primary colors. Yeah, which bothers me because it's the same artist just using pseudonyms. I thought it was different artists the whole time, and then I looked in the, the contents and like, no, nah, it's just the same dude with a different name. And if you look, yep. they all have a common theme. Nadell is spelled differently, or mm-hmm. the first name is spelled differently. So I just don't understand what that really is and why that happens. And I've got one more note from my end. Uh, this is the first superhero we've seen who flies of their own power. Right. Uh, straight up, like, it's not quite the Superman pose, but if you imagine it uh, with the hands and arms a little bit more together, almost like a diver pose, but doing very much the same kind of, like, arms outstretched, uh, legs kicked back, except for a few shots where he's doing the Peter Pan shit, and it looks fucking weird. Yeah, his flying is just <laughs> so uncomfortable looking in general. I'm just so... It's so off-putting to yep. look at. So I believe we've got questions. We do. We do have listener questions. So for those of you who asked us questions, thank you. We do have some questions from some listeners as well as some questions from friends of ours who decided to give us a helping hand because we know we didn't give you long enough to send us questions for this one. Here's the very sorry song. Won't you help and sing along. And bonus points if you can name what comic that's from. Exactly. Specifically, it's a comic strip. Yes. We're going to go with one from Phoebe, who is a friend of ours as well as a listener. Hi, Phoebe. 
Yes, as well as a listener to the podcast who uh, is always giving us helpful, uh, constructive comments to be better, and we really appreciate uh, Phoebe listening. Uh, she's a good friend of ours. A question from her, what keeps us coming back to comics? Why is now the best time for this podcast? Um, if it's not now, what is the golden age of comics? So I think um, what keeps me coming back to comics is honestly the stories are always surprising to me how good they are. I'm always constantly surprised by how much I like comics. Even if it's old comics that have been out for years, I always find a comic that I love very much because of how it's written. Examples would be Atomic Robo or The Goon or Hellboy. Comics that are, have been out and running for a long time that if you just now discover them, they don't go away and they're still good. Same thing with DC's previous history from the 70 years before the New 52. There are still some fantastic, tear-jerking, gasping stories that are so well-written, so beautiful. Those will never go away. And that's why I love comics, because there's just so much, and I haven't read all of it, and I can't wait to read more. There are two different questions to answer there. Right. Um, the first being, um, what keeps us coming back to comics? For me, it's I'm a big fan of visual mediums that especially have some stillness to them, I guess. Right. Uh, I like what comics do. I like the kinds of stories that tend to get told through comics. I am a big reader, but I also tend to... The stuff I like that I read... Things. Yeah, that's the thing. I, especially well-done comics, I love the visual standpoint. Especially, I'm big about uh, bright colors, bold textures, uh, lighting, and comics, especially lately, have done a very good job of making telling stories through that method. Uh, I'm also a fan of the things that are around comics, generally. That sense of long-term, uh, really, long-term IP development. Uh, I think comics are pretty close to the biggest, like, constant release franchises where you have the weight of continuity yeah. being built up where if you'll never a, not have something to read not even not even that but you know if a character is being executed well then you know that they're reconciling and bringing in the weight of 30 years of history on sometimes the low end right uh, and you have a sense of the there is weight from momentum i'm i call it i think of it as the twitch plays pokemon effect yeah. just comics have been going for so long that what happens to cyclops matters even if it's just a fucking throwaway story right what happens to cyclops matters right uh the other thing is uh well to i guess reinterpret a little bit is this the golden age or is something else i think for some things yes i think that the big like showcase stories i don't know if anything else is better about them i i, 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 I would like to go back and reread uh x factor excalibur x-men and new x-men specifically in the era of big summer events within a single franchise right. not necessarily beyond your secret war but type that's, stuff that's the silver age well, no, that's 60s, 60s no, plus. No, uh, no, I'm thinking like uh, Mutant Massacre. Oh, okay. uh, well, no, uh, that's not uh, Extinction Agenda, that's but silver. Uh, 
bronze is like 80s 90s yeah yeah and yeah. excalibur was like the 80s really 80s 90s late 80s i would um, say I would, uh, I, but, but I would, if nothing else mutant massacre is certainly right around like 88 uh, somewhere around there uh that's that idea that those big showpiece events are happening under relatively tight editorial control and not just if nothing else really well executed so it doesn't feel like they're just kind of well we need a summer event i i think that's a weakness of the current model and that everything else has to react around it is frequently a weakness but we are currently in an era where there are so many independent stories and independent folded into the existing big two like squirrel girl that squirrel girl and marvel Ms. girl yeah, uh, would not Ms. exist marvel, right now yeah um, are really good mm-hmm. um yeah i mean for god's sake Ultimate we're about to get uh, the first uh ongoing series that stars gene gray well shit like you've got a muslim superhero as a green lantern simon baz is oh, a yeah, is a yeah. muslim man mm-hmm. superhero that wouldn't yeah. have happened 10 years ago same thing with Kamala Khan, a, a mm-hmm. Muslim young woman as yeah. a superhero. I mean, that, so that's why this is a good time for the podcast, which yeah. is also another part of, the, of, of her question is we need to see the roots to see how far we've come. Because I think it, it I don't know whether it necessarily means this is a better time for it to happen, but it no, certainly is a good time for it adds a, it is a lens through which we absolutely right. need to address exactly. of how far we've look, come. Look at how things used to be and look at how what we have now and you can appreciate the old stuff for what it was but oh my god look at how many good things we have going on right now. Mm-hmm. Personally I think I think the era that we are covering is the golden age with its naivete its newness its zest for being comics. We're too aware now for us to ever have an age of comics like that again that is carefree and just in love with itself. I'll agree with that. Those ex- those stories exist, but they are a slice. Right, but I think that's why this is the golden age of mm-hmm. comics. When no one cared, and when when no one cared about who we would piss off or how bad things were, or maybe I shouldn't write that. When people were just, this is great. Well, I I honestly wonder whether they were any less who, who knows or restrained. We, but... I don't know if we could ever ask anybody about that. But it's the golden age because everything to them was golden. That doesn't necessarily mean everything was gold. I mean, we have case in points all over the place with these <laughs> comics. Bill Finger, Gardner Fox. I mean, and there's I don't some... even want to know what kind of hours they were. Right. I mean, it is not golden because the comics were gold. It was golden because to them they were the golden gods. Nature's first green. Right. It's it is that age. It is untarnished by the lens of time, and yeah. we can learn from that. I'll and I think that's why it's golden. Yeah. There was nothing that they were looking back to within comics. Right. They were pioneers. They were pioneering yeah. the comic industry. They were creating these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another question from our friend Jenna, who is a listener. Given that we've been dredging up old comics, what character do we think differs most dramatically from the original incarnation? And I think you know my answer. Um, this can be anybody mm-hmm. in general, but Lois and Clark. They differ I'm, I'm... so much from what we are used to seeing. Lois is... Not Lois is not Lois and Superman is not Superman. Mm-hmm. They are people dressed like Lois and Superman doing yep. things that Lois and Superman should be doing with the abilities and skills that both Lois and Superman have, but they have none of the character of Lois and Superman. And it bothers me. Honestly, I think all three members of the Trinity are 
way changed. And, yeah. and I think I think it really is all three because Batman Batman quickly approached the 60s version of Batman, but the 60s version of Batman is so different from the modern version because the modern version is so influenced by the Dark Knight and well also Watchmen. Uh Ugh. <laughs> and Sorry. whether whether that's the right direction or not to go, that was, like that, that feels like the modern version of Batman is still that hyper dark. Uh, and, yes. and here's the thing: we also haven't followed Batman very closely in the past five or six years, uh, mostly just reading articles. So it may be that it's changed around. I know there's been weirdness uh, with who's actually under the cowl, but uh, I would yeah, say we will we will both say neither of us have read anything from Rebirth currently. Yeah. We are too entrenched in this podcast right now, I think, to read any more DC than we are currently reading. We look forward to. I'm very much looking forward to reading the new Wonder Woman, as well as the new Green Lantern stuff. I'm very curious to learn about those two new characters, but as it stands right now, our money's going to the podcast, and that's as much... Like, this is 200 pages of, of comic to read, and that's a lot of comic. That and all my other reading time is to and from work every day, and right. it turns out it's difficult to read a comic on while walking. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, another question from Crystal. If one were to start reading Batman comics, where should one begin? This is a, And I think this is a great question that you're going to get a different answer from every person based off of their personal taste in comics. Yeah. Um, Matt, I think you would probably say post-Jason Todd. Uh, I mean, you would certainly need to be Because you want you, you are a hardcore Not, Dark Knight for, Batman fan, correct? No. 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 Not like... But not like Frank Miller Batman. I mean, like I, when he is the Dark Knight. Uh, That's post Dennis O'Neill rewrite of him after he was writing the question. I, I would say I'm actually uh, after I'm the initial wave of response after it. I suppose okay. uh, like not not Nirvana, not uh, not uh, not Nightfall. Or I, I would say after that. So for me, no, uh, what, what I mean okay. is uh, I'm not if Nirvana. And uh, never mind are the equivalent of the Dark Knight Returns. That, I know, Again, I sorry, know, that I was involuntary. <laughs> I know. Uh, if those two are equivalent, then you have the first couple of years. You have Watchmen. You have that initial wave of following up on the Dark Knight, and that's your uh, Pearl Jam and the things that were happening at the same time. I know Pearl Jam wasn't necessarily inspired by Nirvana, no, but, but there's that whole wave so, of initial grunge. So and for those for those in, people who are not up on music history, what eras are you talking about right now as far that as would, Batman? That would be uh, mid-90s for Nirvana, uh, or for music, and then probably about the same and a little bit earlier so the mid 90s pouches era oh pouches era okay so <laughs> when everybody had tons of pockets on them so yep. mid 90s so starting probably late 80s early 90s batman is probably for you where you would say yeah uh, right around the time of the long halloween stuff like okay. that where those stories aren't maybe quite dark knight but you can't get away from that sense of the dark knight uh year one as well any basically anytime frank miller owns things right uh and then you get uh, Music-wise, you get the response of, well, Foo Fighters starts to be that a little more upbeat, but taking the same pop. Just like punk, Nightwing and uh, the Outsiders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then you get, okay, yeah. then you get, okay, we still have the Dark Knight, but everything around him is a little bit brighter, and that would be the start of like Tim uh, Drake. Well, Tim Drake as well, but uh, all of that leads. That's one of the Robins again yeah. for those of you who aren't familiar. 
Uh, so late eighties, leading early. into uh, uh, Batman No Man's Land, okay, and the the stuff that builds up around that because that's when you get Cassie Kane, uh, you have Barbara and uh, the Birds of Prey. Okay, and I think that's when so that's probably when Tim Drake really mid gets to going. late eighties to. Early to mid '90s, Batman is where you would say to start. I would say if you if you're looking for an, a couple years of really good continuity, right around those storylines, uh, No Man's Land is a good way to do it. Uh, big old Maxis series. But if you're looking for some things that you can just pick up and read, well, I mean, honestly, if you're looking for something that's well, you, relatively you want simple, my answer because, animated series. Yeah, you want my answer? The animated series. Okay, yeah. there's a whole. Just watch the animated <laughs> series of Batman. That's all you need, okay? Look, I'm going to be really honest. Batman is Scooby Doo with masks. And, you and, say that and we and disagree, just, but and and it's just solving mysteries and kicking kicking asses. All right, animated series. Batman is literally the best version of Batman because he is the king of his realm, and he struggles. He wins. And it's the best Robin with the best Alfred and the best versions of his bad guys. Because anything beyond that, to me, just starts getting ridiculous. Any of the villains, when they start getting hyper versions of themselves, get too much for me. You want another example of probably a good version of Batman? The Batman video games. Arkham Asylum to City... That's certainly one version. Are yeah. fantastic representations of Batman. I think everybody should play those if they have the opportunity to. I will not tell you to go out and read Batman comics. <laughs> Matt understands. That is a whole thing in and of itself. If y'all want to hear about that, you can make that choice and, and make me explain that. The one other thing I'll throw out there on the subject of Batman video games, or at least segueing from that, if you're looking for... Batman intellectual and specifically like drowning yourself in the dark side of Batman. Uh, Arkham Asylum, not the game. The comic Arkham Asylum. And Killing Joke. Killing Joke is problematic in a number of ways. You got a hard on for the you got a hard on for the Joker, read those two. Yeah. Like that's all I'm gonna say. You like the Joker? Yeah. Read those two comics. And you'll would, be fine. That's all you'll ever want in life. That's Ar- all you'll ever read, and that's all that ever matters as far as Batman goes if you've got a hard-on for the Joker. Arkham Asylum is a bit better, I would argue, just because it's. I think it's smarter, and it really also puts a little bit of a lens on Well, you know how Batman I feel about Alan Moore, Moore, so I will agree with you, but yeah. that's beside the point. <laughs> um, I, I also have one last question before you go into yours. This one's from mm-hmm. Shannon. When are you getting your onesie? Have we gotten ten people to say I should she get just, it? She was very insistent that I say this. Well, there's the two. Okay, that's there's two. two. That's two. All right. So come on, people. Eight <laughs> more. You look like you sound like you've got uh, at least two more. One more for us. I've got one more entertaining one, and it's visual. So we're gonna need to share this later. Okay. Yeah, you'll have to show this. What is this? Is that married with children? Is the Fantastic Four fighting a guy who's got a disco ball for a head? Did I actually get that right? No. I don't yeah, know. no, that's married with children. That's the dad and that's the mom. That's the mom for married with children. Yeah, okay. I'm right. Um, quirky quartet, apparently. Yeah, man, that's not a real thing. That's that's some, that's some fan art. Right there. shit. That's some fan but art of married with children. Another, one way or another, it's entertaining. It's, uh, boy, we're going to have to show that. Yep. You got one other one for us? Uh, I've got two other ones. 
the first one, just a one-word answer, so we move through it quickly. Superman versus Goku. Superman. Yeah. Done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other one? Do you, want, do you want an explanation for that? Go watch Screw Attack series Death Battle. They have two episodes about Goku versus Superman. <laughs> Together, they are probably an hour long. There is a lot of math and a lot of examples and a lot of references. We stand by that decision. The other one is... Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Data from Star Trek in a fight? Data. Yeah. Because... Why would you... What? I do think that there's still room for Buffy to win. uh, She's plucky and she knows how to fight. And then she's fought a variety of monsters that would give her the edge up on basically adapting to an android. But here's the thing. She's written by Joss Whedon, which means she's probably going to die. Yeah, that's also true. If it's a Joss Whedon Star Trek episode where Buffy the Vampire Slayer shows up <laughs> oh my on Star God, Trek, I would actually really you know want to see you know, a you know, Whedon. Uh, you know what that episode is? That's a holodeck episode. thing. Data's in the holodeck with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she has to die, and Data has to kill the vampires. You're welcome, Joss Whedon. That one's for free. I watched that. <laughs> would it be a musical episode? No. All the good, all the good Buffy episodes were apparently they were had but, something. To but do with remember, music. Data can't sing very well, and he also can't whistle. So you don't want to he have... He's violent though, right? He is learning, Miniature, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I don't remember him right, playing very right. well with his cat. He's Just like he's learning to paint. He's, yeah. like The two of them, he can do clinically, but it's like not pleasing to listen to. If you want to have a musical yeah, episode, you right. have Riker in there, and that'll ba, sex shit up ba, immediately. Ba, 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 <laughs> I was thinking more Baker, ba, 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 the Baker Street song. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll get Baker Street stuck in my I head, and now I actually know what it is. All the time. Right. I think that'll do it for our questions for this episode. Thank yep. you for coming on this wild ride with us. We will come back with the next episode with more Green Lantern. Where yeah. can they find us? Oh, that is a good question. Yes. You can find us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash DC Detectives Podcast, on Twitter, at DCD Podcast, on Instagram, DC Detectives Podcast, and our website, dcdetectivespodcast.com. It's dot net. No, it's not. It's <laughs> .gov. I need to watch the new Homestar Runner stuff. Oh, Homestar Runner. Um, we will... Uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and our website, dcdetectivespodcast.com. Subscribe to hear episodes as they come out. Joey Dickles proved to be a better cab driver than he was at keeping secrets. He told us that while he drove around fairs and shuttled some radio personalities to and fro, he moonlighted as the Green Lantern sidekick. The Green Lantern could fly, shoot beams from his ring, and wasn't squeamish about dealing out deadly justice. More importantly, Doiby said he could get us a face-to-face meeting with him. Not ones to look a gift horse in its mouth. We agreed.